Greetings and welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason. We get together here every week and discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. Got a hot one for you today with a friend of show and former guest, Catherine Lotspeech. You might remember Catherine. She's the one I called a millennial and upstart. She's not afraid to be contrarian. She's got brilliant ideas. She's an ag consultant in the state of Colorado. She's also a former dairy farmer. In fact, still involved in the family dairy. Her and her family have a large scale dairy in the state of Utah, 5,000 cows. So you might imagine where we're going with this. It's been one week, as we're recording this right now, it's been one week since the Fair Oaks Farm video was released by animal activist group, Animal Recovery Mission. So Catherine and I are gonna talk about what this means for agriculture, one week in the rearview mirrors, what it means moving forward, what it means for the consumer, what it means for our industry, and how we can navigate this. And frankly, it's time for us to admit, to admit a little mea culpa. Catherine Lotspeech, welcome to the show. Thanks, Damien. It's great to be back. Well, you know what? You're a friend of show, which means this probably won't be your last time. Unless you do a poor job today, I think you're going to be probably coming back to join us here. Thank you for being here. All right. You're a dairy farm kid. I'm a dairy farm kid. Now, my dairy farm was a little different than yours. Mine was your basic Midwest dairy in the 1970s and 80s with 50 or 60 milking cows, 500 acres, some silos, 60 cow freestall barn. There was a farm like mine on every county road back in that part of the world at that time. Economies of scale have kicked in. Larger scale dairies are what, uh, you know, need to exist now for operation. Part of what bothers me on the Fair Oaks farm video release is I've seen people saying, well, this is the problem with these factory farms, these factory farms. If we had these small scale family operations, it wouldn't be this way. To which I point out, well, first off, find a family that wants to work 90 hour weeks and never go away like us in this day and age. And secondly, let's not pretend that scale equals different treatment. In the old days, there were people that were bad animal handlers that had mistreated livestock and cows up to their udders and manure on 40 cow dairies in the old days. So I don't equate size with it, but then I've started to wonder your perspective, Fair Oaks farm, start there, what you saw, what you think. Well, Damien, um, what I saw was very, very disturbing. Um, I, like you said, I grew up on a on a dairy. It started out small scale family operation. Still is a family operation, but we milk about five thousand now. My first jobs, like a lot of dairy kids, was feeding calves, um, and I I ended up being mostly in charge of maternity um, and the calf operation when I got older. And this is unacceptable. It doesn't matter if you milk 50 cows or if you milk 50,000, you absolutely do not treat calves or any animal this way. Um, it, it's disturbing at first blush. Yeah, it is. And I've, you know, I've had a lot of discussions. I've been on TV now. I've been on radio interviews about this very topic. It is indefensible. When it came out a week ago when I first saw it, I took that very uh, frank thing. I did a Facebook Live, a 12-minute video, and I said, we must understand that this is not defensible. This is not, I don't want to hear ag people saying, well, you know, just sometimes, no, 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 there's no defending this. You know, this is like defending child abuse or rape or something like that. And no, I'm not equating livestock to humans. I'm just saying it's such a hard thing for the consumer to look at that there is no winning by defending this. It's indefensible. It's indefensible. When I first looked at it, um, I went into it with an agriculturist mind thinking that I was going to see a stage set up um, and, you know, people 
people acting like they had been paid to do this. I did see some of that, but um, as I got into the longer video and some other clips that have been released later this week, it looks routine and it's just appalling. I winced at it. I had to close my eyes. I cannot stand to see cabs treated that way. I, I would never, ever, ever, no matter how upset or frustrated I was, um, grab a calf by its ears, um, throw it into a hutch, anything like that. It's indefensible. It's, it's appalling. And I, I cannot condemn it strongly enough. Yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, you and I have both been around and I know that I probably uh, pushed a calf around a time or two when I was a little kid because I started out feeding the, the bottle calves when I was eight years old. Nothing like what we saw there. And in this, uh, this footage, the first four minutes, I thought this still could be a setup. This still could be a setup. And my, my ag defensive side wanted to prove that it was going to be a setup. Uh, you and I both looked at the raw footage that the McCluskey, the owner of Ferret Farm, has admitted. And then now that when you and I both looked through an hour and a half of footage, it's not just three employees, it's multiple employees, dozens of employees. And it looks to me like it's a real systemic problem uh, at that facility. So as much as I want to defend Fair Oaks for being uh, fantastic on the agritourism and fantastic as a vocal spokesperson for ag and the dairy industry, there's there's a real problem there behind the scenes. There is a real problem there. As much as you want to defend one of our own, um, circle the wagons, it looks like a systemic problem and um, our, it, it's hard to talk about, but it, you know, it, it has to begin somewhere. Um, there's always the policy of see something, say something. They've talked about that, but it looks like there's been a real breakdown in the system somewhere, whether it was instigated by the animal rights activist group themselves or whether it's been there before, we won't ever know, but it's, it's impossible to defend it. It's not right. And I think in agriculture that perhaps our response hasn't been um, quite, quite the way that it should have been for, for consumers facing this. We can talk about it all we want in ag. We understand what's going on. It looks bad to the consumer and it is bad. Yeah. I mean, when it shocks even you and I, and we expect, uh, we, you know, we expect like, okay, this, when I saw these guys dragging day old calves by their ears, uh, you know, from a UTV, I thought, who, who does that? And picking these calves up and throwing them into the up, uh, upper deck of a trailer. So there's a lot of stuff that I saw that was really disturbing to me, let alone our consumer that's four five, six generations removed from the farm living in, uh, you know, the suburbs of Denver or Chicago we are a consumer business. The very first thing I came out with about this was let's never forget that without the consumer, there's no need for us. You and I have discussed that. All this think a farmer stuff is all neat hyperbole within the ag industry, but we should also thank the consumer because it's their dollars. How do we get past this? What do we do? The consumer does not want to see this. What do we do? The first thing we have to do is stop fighting among ourselves. I've said it a hundred times, I'm gonna say it again. We are the absolute best at tearing ourselves apart from within. Um, I wrote a piece about this earlier this week and my take was more on the reaction of the agriculture industry. And my point from that is that we are tearing ourselves apart. I've got an organic friend, an organic dairy farmer who I was texting when this all came out. And she was really mad because her organic friends on Facebook and Instagram and everything are delighted that this happened because it's a mega fair, mega dairy um, conventional farm. And they said, you know, this is why we're here because, because dairies like this shouldn't exist. Um, 
And her point was, no, it can happen to any of us. It doesn't matter if we're organic or not. These people do not want, um, do not want animals to be in production. They don't, they have a vegan agenda. And so the number one thing we have to do is stop fighting with each other and face outwards. Yeah, there's no question that this became a thing where it was, well, you know, this doesn't happen over at my company. And, and, and there may be some truth to that. We can talk about size and scale. They've got 35,000 cows at this place, which then, of course, equates to 35,000 calves are born each year. So you're going to have some of this 500, 600 employees just in the production side. But I don't think that us fighting amongst ourselves is going to fix any of that. But the consumer, back to the consumer, there's a reason milk alternatives, protein alternatives are selling. If I was the marketing person for the Beyond Burger or the Impossible Burger, or now the third entrant into that whole thing is called Beyond Before the Butcher, which is another plant-based protein. If I'm the marketing person for one of those three companies, I'm going to grab this footage and say, here's your choice, consumer. You want a burger that comes from this, or do you want a burger that comes from plants? And I'm going to probably make a whole bunch of money as a marketer. So we are shooting ourselves in the foot when we allow stuff like this to happen. We absolutely are. It's like you've said before, Damien, um, people are emotional, even though they believe that they're rational, they're emotional. Those marketers are going to take that emotion and say, Hey, look, this forget it not happening in our industry. It can't happen because we make everything out of plants and you know, we probably talk to our plants, so they're happy too. <laughs> um, it it's, an easy thing to do. It wouldn't, you know, and marketers, are they really known for their, for their, uh, for their qualms about how they, how they sell their product? No, they just want to sell product. Right. And this would be a really easy way to do it. And if you're a mom at the grocery store or, or anybody at the grocery store, you can make that choice with your dollar and say, Hey, I'm not going to support that because on its face, it looks like, it looks like what it is, animal abuse. And you don't have to support that in America anyway, where we can devote so much of our money to, to, uh, or we can devote um, our, our political stances, our lifestyle choices um, by spending our money. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it seems to me that if I were the marketer for anything from almond milk to cashew milk to, to impossible burgers, I would absolutely use this to grow market share. And then, it really seems like the activists are helping that because the activists do have an agenda and it's more than people think the activists have an agenda for a vegan society. They also have a, a, an agenda to raise money. This sort of footage and this amazing amount of media that they garner from the Chicago Tribune to, you know, the Indianapolis star. And that's just right there within a hundred miles of this farm, but it's national media. Look at the money that's going to pour into animal recovery mission and other animal causes, which means these people, while they say they're not for profits, are allowed to pay themselves. So now there's going to be increased amounts of these hit pieces because they know it gets media and it drives their agenda. Media will make them money. That's exactly right. I was thinking about this earlier. And what is the purpose of this video? Number one, to shock, to shock and horrify people. And it's, it's, it's accomplished that goal over and over and over. Um, I come from a rural area in Utah. I have friends there. I'm friends with them on social media and they posted it on Facebook. These people who have literally been to my farm on tours to see what we do. They posted the video to Facebook and then they posted a fundraising link. They said, donate to this cause because they will make sure it doesn't happen again. These are people that I know friends who I love, you know, and they just don't know it. It looks 
horrifying to them. They're horrified and they want to put a stop to it. So they Mm -hmm. send money. Yeah. And so I think that a lot of times you talked about agriculture is horrible in our response. I think it's because it starts from almost an innocence or a naivete in agriculture that we underestimate what these groups want. They want us to not exist. They want there to not be dairy farms, chicken farms, eggs, meat, milk, pork chops, whatever. Uh, even leather pants, which I find to be absolutely unforgivable. If you're against leather pants, what the hell's wrong with you? But here's the thing. That's what they want, and they have amazing methods. And here we are, and I talk about this in my presentations, as you've well seen. We come out and say, no, well, we don't do that. And, then, of course, the consumer's saying, what the hell do you mean you don't do it? I just watched an hour of footage of you and your employees dragging calves around and beating them with, uh, with fence posts. Well, there we are. So we say, no, we don't do it. The evidence is against us. Then we say, well, we do it better than them. Now we're tossing one of our own under the bus. Then we say, well, you just don't understand. And then we get mad and and decide that we're uh, mad at them. And the activists win. The activists have an amazing public relations tactic and somehow agriculture has never, it's like, we're like Lucy pulling the football out in front of Charlie Brown. We just never seem to learn. You're exactly right on that. We are so far behind the eight ball. Are we ever going to catch up? I think that we probably can catch up, but it's going to take some radical changes in agriculture. And by radical, I don't mean violent or anything like that, but we need to spin a 180 and meet these people where they're at, use their same kind of tactics to to make sure that this doesn't happen or occurs far less often. Um, In agriculture, for so long, we were left alone um, and entrusted to do what we do best. And we really like being left alone. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a nice quiet life usually, and that's how we want it. Um, and now there's people who have a lot of time and a lot of money on their hands. Everybody needs a cause, right? Somebody needs something to fight for. And um, that's, I think that's where we are today. And with social media, the, the advent of instantly posting whatever you see, being able to rally a whole bunch of people, not just in your neighborhood, but around the world to a cause that's, that you're passionate about, um, has really, we've just been left in the dark and, and we're spinning our wheels saying, how can we get back with this? We have got to start using the same kind of tactics. Um, I don't think that fighting back is the right word. We need to, we need to be open. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, how do we open ourselves up without making ourselves a target? That's a difficult conversation to have, uh, but we've got to figure it out because it's going to keep happening. Well, of course, <clears throat> this man named Kudo, who founded the Animal Recovery Mission, decided, he claims in an interview in the Indianapolis Star, he claimed he decided to target Farrow's Farm after going on their dairy adventure tour. And then he decided he needed to demonstrate what really happens in the dairy industry. So he's an activist. He's an animal rights radical. And he also targeted them, he won't admit, but because they're huge. He went after them, and this is something that our ag people don't seem to understand. If you go after Goliath with a stone and you bring him down, you've got a 35,000 cow facility, and you've also got 
the tie into Coca-Cola. So if you notice in the very beginning, a week ago, it was, this happens, this is what they do. This is Fair Oaks Farm, the agritourism that brings in half a million or so tourists per year. And they're all smoke and mirrors. And also they're tied into Coca-Cola with a company called Fairlife. So you know what? Boycott Fairlife, boycott Coke. Boycott Fairlife, boycott Coke. This is what Fair Oaks Farm. So he targeted them brilliantly. And here we in Ag are saying, you know what we just need to do? We just need to tell our story. If I have to go to one more of these ag meetings where they just say, well, we just need to tell a story. I'm like, okay, you've got, <laughs> you're going to take some pictures of your little kids sitting on a straw bale and tell your story. But then you've got a massive public relations agenda with trained, radical public relations uh, savvy people at Animal Recovery Mission putting this out there. We're outgunned. This is like the old knife to a gunfight. I think there's a better way. Your thoughts first. I think a knife to a gunfight is <laughs> the best analogy I've heard so far. If I get told one more time to tell my story, um, I'm either going to puke on the person saying it, or if I had a dollar for every time I've heard that, I could buy my own farm all by myself. Um, it's useless advice. It's not working. The way that we're doing it is not working. Um, the promotion dollars that so many of our industries put into this almost feel wasted because if those, those are the people who are supposed to be telling our stories, what are they doing? Yeah, Have we you, had any responses from any of those organizations? Well, that's my thing exactly. Where's the Farm Bureau? Where is, uh, where's the Milk National Marketing Milk Producers Board? Federation. National Milk Producers Federation. So they're mum on this, and they're going to just pull their little political thing and say, well, gosh, we don't know if we should get involved. So here's how you win this. You win this by exposing the activists for what they are. These activists are trespassers. They are criminal. They use underhanded tactics. And yeah, we've done some things wrong. By God, we have done some things wrong. And, and we are sorry, dear consumer. But let me tell you about these activists. They are fundraisers that don't pay taxes. They are set up as not-for-profits, yet they pay themselves and they pay their staff. They are, uh, again, willing to break laws to go and try and, and find something. But here's their real agenda. They not only want to keep themselves paid and keep their organization going, they want to take away your choice. They, dear consumer, want to take away meat, milk, eggs, cheese, pork chops, bacon from you. Nobody in agriculture, Catherine, comes up with that angle. It's always just the same old crap. Like you said, I haven't heard anything. Where, where are all of these organizations, from the checkoff dollars to the farm bureaus to the national market, you know, milk board? Where are these groups right now? Where are they? Crickets. Crickets, because I think your response of them being scared or thinking that it's too political is exactly right. Well, you know what? These animal activists are being political. They are hitting us right in the wallet. Um, and forget in the hearts for these animals and these operations that we really tr truly do care about. Obviously, us caring is not sending the right message. I think exposing these people is the exact right response. Um, I've got a question for you, Damien. They are criminals, they are trespassing, um, they are committing animal welfare crimes. Um, Ag-gag laws. We have, I know in Utah, um, we passed an ag-gag law which would make it illegal for someone to trespass um, on, on an agricultural operation with the express intent of, of um, perpetrating criminal acts. That was struck down by a circuit court and has been in other states too. Some states have been successful in implementing it, but how do we spin that? Because we're trying to take protective measures for our businesses. Um, and, and these activists use it to say, well, they're just hiding something. 
Yeah, that's a tough one. I just was interviewed about that this morning. Indiana, uh, uh, the one of the one of the local politician, a politician from my part of the world, uh, proposed the ag gag rule, and the animal activist groups go crazy on that. Here's the issue: as a free speech person, also those folks weren't really trespassing; they were employed, and so now you can't say that one of your employees is trespassing. I believe that this is the wrong approach for us to take because it looks like we're trying to hide something. You know, Upton Sinclair, a hundred and some years ago, wrote his novel, The Jungle, about horrific practices in meat facilities. And he believed he was, uh, he, he believed he was doing something great. And also the book ended up being a real social cause thing. He thought it was a great novel. It was actually a social cause thing. So nobody goes after Upton Sinclair and says, you bastard, you should be criminalized. You should be put in jail. No, he's, he's a, he wrote a book that you and I maybe were made to read as ninth graders. We're not going to win with the ag-gag law because the consumer will say, oh, they must have something to hide. Secondly, secondly, the people, Catherine, that filmed that were truly employed for three months. It says from August till November they were employees. So are they really trespassing? You could say, yes, but you're not supposed to take footage of stuff that's here. Just like if we were the General Motors truck facility, you're not supposed to, as an employee, be filming what happens here because our competitors could use it. That's not going to hold up. And then the last reason why we shouldn't support the ag-gag laws now after events like Fair Oaks Farm, it doesn't matter whether we criminalize it. Those people are more committed to their cause than we are they would take the prosecution for whatever it is. So, okay, they're going to get six months in jail. They'll take it and they'll appeal it. And then again, on a jury trial, they're going to say, yeah, I broke the law. I broke the ag-gag law and look what I filmed so that you could see the horrific activity over there and they're not, and they're going to win. So I don't believe ag-gag laws are, are our answer. I think the actual right answer is doing things the right way. Your points are well taken, and um, I appreciate that perspective. I've never, I've never gone that far into it to think about it that deeply. So, so thank you for for that um, food for thought. Um, doing the most powerful, right. the most powerful, and by the way, Catherine, is that the the activists would absolutely they will break the law. It doesn't matter. So that's it's kind of like hate crimes. Well, murder was already a crime. So what did we accomplish there? So I don't think that we're going to get any further with it. Uh, I mean, unless it was punishable by death. And then of course, that's not going to hold up either. Right. Obviously not. Um, yes, the answer is doing things the right way. Absolutely. And we know that 99% of the operations out there strive to do things the right way 100% of the time. Of course, there's things like procedural drift. There's also common ag practices that if taken out of context, look very, very disturbing. Dehorn, um, dehorning like to, calves or something like that, right? Dehorning, exactly like that. Now we're coming up with better practices, um, you know, giving painkillers when needed using a dehorning paste rather than a dehorning um, iron. But what about, what about instances like that? Or, you know, a cow falls down in the parlor and, you know, we use, we might have to use something to help lift her up because she weighs 1,800 pounds and, you know, we weigh 120. What about practice? Just is like those. Yeah, well, of course, they still look bad. And that's where the animal activists, uh, they'll, they'll shoot anything no matter what. And to the consumer in Aurora, uh, Colorado, or Schaumburg, Illinois, that lives in the suburbs, it's going to be shocking to them. So the answer is those things will always look shocking, but we can pretty easily defend, or at least we can defend that and say, hey, how are we supposed to move an 1,800-pound animal around? I, I think we can defend that. 
but the activists have the upper hand, and that's what we must understand. Every single thing that they can show video of is going to make us look a little bit animal inhumane when it's talking about, like you said, dehorning a calf or whatever. So what do we do? We admit that they have the upper hand and we keep going back to sometimes what we do is noise pretty, just like the military does things that aren't pretty, just like manufacturing of your car isn't always pretty, just like electric, electric uh, generation is not always pretty. You, you have the choice. This is something that we're giving for you. You know, we're creating this for you. This is a consumer business. We're creating it for you. And I think we admit that, and that's probably going to be fine. Everybody knows that to eat meat, something has to die. They won't do well with watching it, but they still want the meat. Yes, they do. And we're, we're fortunate that consumers are still um, demanding high quality products and that the world population as it, as it moves up in economic classes is demanding higher grade protein, um, i.e. meat. So, go ahead. Yeah, well, I guess I was going to tell you that my thought on this is we, we know this has made a big buzz and we know it's really bad for the industry. I don't know that we've actually lost cheese consumption because of it. So we can callously say it doesn't matter. The consumer wants their, their cheese and their cause too. You know, they want their cause and their cheese to eat too kind of thing. But I don't believe that. I believe that these groups will continue to do hit pieces because of the money. And it, it will probably have a greater impact on younger folks. The more social media savvy crowd is who our future consumer is. And that's why we need to be concerned. The 60-year-old person that is always going to eat cheese isn't going away. The 20-year-old is our future and that's the problem. Right, and the millennial generation and the and Gen Z behind us, um, they're, they're a larger generation, two larger generations even than baby boomers, and they are starting to really drive the economy now as we become parents, as we become um, you know, fully and gainfully employed. We buy a lot of stuff and um, it, <laughs> I hate to say it, but it matters how things look to, to millennials. I know for sure. Um, I've been known to buy something because it was prettily packaged. Mm -hmm. I haven't gone so far as to care too much about the story behind the product, but I'm not the most average millennial out there. I have plenty of friends who say they research where they're, where, where the company does business from. Um, and I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they went even farther back than that. They're going to see something like this on Facebook or Twitter. They're going to react. Catherine, I think we should probably do a sidebar. Uh, the millennials, you said you're not the average millennial. It's my understanding there's no such thing. Every millennial is above average. I believe that because that's why we gave them all trophies and ribbons. I believe every millennial <laughs> is above average, right? Okay. Um, where do we go? Uh, you and I both admit agriculture does a bad job of this. I believe we could do a better job by going straight to the consumer ourselves and saying, hey, we apologize for this. Uh, this is, this is not who we are and not what we want to be. Uh, we can admit now, especially after you and I have seen the advanced footage, as much as we want to defend Fair Oaks farm, they got a systemic problem there. They have a systemic problem. It's not just three employees. It's three dozen employees or more. Those are the ones that we saw and it's not throwing them under the bus. It's just rapidly admitting it's like, we got a problem. We're going to fix it. You know, Tylenol had a problem. Uh, you know, Uber had a problem. There's all kinds of companies and brands and businesses and industries that have had problems. We can fix this. So that's what we need to do on a United front is say, we can fix this. And again, all these groups that supposedly represent us could come out and say, Hey, you know what consumers, these activist groups are trying to drive an agenda so that you won't have bacon. 
And I think that if we just did that, and I always bring it back to the consumer, that see through the activists, see through the activists. They're trying to manipulate you to then kill off an industry and thereby affecting what you're allowed to eat. So if we did food control from that standpoint, I believe it would also uh, be effective for us. I agree. And I really like your point about um, speaking for ourselves, uh, the people who are supposed to represent us. How many times are we going to have to be proven wrong that, that they're going to do it? And, you know, the activists have the means to get stuff out online right now. You and I do too. Um, I could go post a video right this afternoon saying this is not who we are. We don't condone this. Um, please trust us to do better. And I think that's the best and simplest method I've heard of to start combating this. Um, the food control really, that really hits me in the heart too. I do not, I hate being told what to do, much less what I'm supposed to be eating. Uh, you tell me something like that, I'm going to get really ticked off. Um, so I think exposing their agenda is something that we actually, that we absolutely have to start doing as well. Yeah, I agree. And we're going to call upon you and I, our, our brethren in agriculture, instead of this whole thing about tell your story, that was a neat concept 15 years ago in ag when the, the first farm her stood up at the Farm Bureau meeting and said, tell your story. Uh, we, we're, we need to move beyond that now. Uh, it's, it's, it's time for us to tell the consumer what this means to them. I think that that is probably a more effective results-oriented option for us. Closing thoughts, Catherine Lott's speech, activism, animal agriculture. What do you got for me? Activism. It's not going to stop. Uh, we've got to be prepared. And I think as we said through this whole podcast, start using their tactics because they aren't going to pull any punches. Agriculture. We're better than this. We are better than this 99.9% .9 of the time. Does that story get told? No, it comes back to telling your story. We've got to go straight to consumers. Um, it's, it's high time that we take this in hand. We're people who like solutions and have been known to meet incredible challenges face on. So here's one. Let's start now. Yeah, I, I agree with all that assessment. Her name is Catherine Lotspeech. You should keep up with her. She's a friend of the show. She's a smart lady. She's 27 years old, a dairy farm girl, an agricultural consultant. And, uh, and she's going to be back, I'm thinking, one of these days. She writes articles also. Tell them about your blog. My blog is um, called farmgateg8advocate.wordpress.com. You can find me there right now, just so you know it will be migrating soon. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at bklots, B-K-L-O-T-S. You can find um, plenty of my opinions and uh, thoughts about the goings-on in agriculture um, almost daily. And she's married to a VOAG teacher, but he doesn't have as many opinions as her. That's why he's not on the show. Her name's Catherine, <laughs> her name's Catherine Lotspeech, and my name's Damian Mason. You've been listening to the Business of Agriculture. Till next time.